Welcome, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Good to have you with us here. Uh, and, you know, for the last, oh, my Lord have mercy, 24 years, let's say, folks, <laughs> uh, we have been doing work with the Maryland Humanities Council on one level or another every year. Uh, and uh, we are always celebrating the Chautauqua performances that are here in Maryland. And now it's time for Chautauqua 2017. And Chautauqua is a place where people come to uh, really wrestle with deep intellectual ideas. It's a place where actors become characters from our history and present themselves to us. Uh, and um, so uh, give you a sense of where we are right now. You know, with the, let me just read you a little quote here. The world must be made safe for democracy. Its peace must be planted upon the tested foundations of personal liberty. Those are the words of President Woodrow Wilson when he asked U.S. Congress to declare war on Germany uh, that had already taken place three years before that. The U.S. tried to stay neutral as they did in World War II. didn't work. They hit the Lusitania, uh, and after they hit the, uh, the, the ship Lusitania, went down the British passenger liner in April of 1917, the U.S. jumped into the war. Uh, and so this is the 23rd season of Chautauqua. Uh, and I think we've done it just about every year here on the Mark Steiner Show, had a Chautauqua <coughs> conversation, and so we're no different this year in our 24th year. Uh, today, we are joined by Bill Gromet, who's been on the show many, many, many mm -hmm. times before, uh, and uh, you heard him just a few weeks ago when we played the conversation between Malcolm X and, uh, and Martin Luther King, where Bill Gromet played Martin Luther King in our live performances around the state with Humanities Council. But today, Bill Gromet brings us W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, and uh, Bill has been a living history interpreter, storyteller, actor, motivational speaker. He's, as I said, been King, Frederick Douglass, Benjamin Banneker at Chautauqua's here in Colorado, South Carolina, and at schools in North, in North Marianas. He gets to go to North Marianas, and I don't, but I still like him. Bill, good to have you back in the studio. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Good to see you. And joining him is Doug Mishler. Doug Mishler is playing John Pershing uh, mm -hmm. in this Chautauqua, the great general from World War One, and but I didn't say it earlier. This is a, this Chautauqua is about World War One, uh, and he's an independent scholar who is taught at the University of Nevada and Western Washington University. He's appeared at the Humanities Chautauquas before as P.T. Barnum, Theodore Roosevelt, William Lloyd Garrison, Henry Ford, and Upton Sinclair. And Doug, good to see you again. Welcome. Great to be here. And uh, so this Chautauqua World War One. There's a third actor here. It's not with us today. Who's playing? Actually, playing Wilson. Uh, all this is coming up this weekend at the Community College of Baltimore County at 800 South Rolling Road in Catonsville, uh, Pershing on Friday and Du Bois on Saturday and, and Wilson on Sunday. So, gentlemen, good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you, Mark. Thank it's you. great to be here. So, now that we have used up all the time talking, we have no time <laughs> left. <you> <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so let's begin about your characters. So, I'm, I'm curious how you, you know, were you approached to do these characters or these characters you came up with yourself that you brought to Chautauqua? Well, uh, the, the, the Humanities Council came up with the characters for me. Uh, they had the theme uh, which is uh, the Great War, um, uh, and uh, they ca they came over the characters and they called and asked me if I would do Du Bois, and I had done Du Bois before, uh, very unsatisfactorily to my <laughs> to my standards. <laughs> really? So I, I I relish the uh, the um, uh, ability to go after him again, and I still have not even touched the surface because this man is so remarkable. Uh, people don't really understand. Uh, just how deep and how, how for almost a hundred years, he was writing almost every single day. He wrote book, 35 different books. He wrote 
uh, in the crisis. He wrote the the which Hoppus. was the NAACP magazine. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And 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 he and then he wrote letters to folks. He was just engaged and involved, and he has uh, a, a th- thing that he says. He says that uh, he I was the the uh, for almost a hundred years. I was the hammer that caused people to respect the Negro race. And he goes on to say more about that, but he just, he just relished his, 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 his role in getting us out of that, that, aura, uh, that aura of slavery into what the founding fathers, he thought, envisioned, mm-hmm. which is an America for everybody that was here. And so that was so. It, it's it's great to to get into him. And the voice you just used for Du Bois return to Doug. I mean, you're playing Du Bois. This was about World War One, but you're playing Du Bois as a 93 year old man in Ghana looking back, right? Exactly, exactly. Because um, first of all, um, it gives it just gives gives you such a more lat- greater latitude. And and I guarantee you, most of the questions will come about his later life. And so I thought, okay, let me just frame it so that I, at least I can address it when I'm out of there. But the other thing is this. Du Bois was very n- remarkable for this, uh, this one thing. He was very self-aware, and he realized that he was wrong on certain things in his early life. And he came back and he talked about them. He said, I'm not correcting them. I'm just letting you know that I was wrong then. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And so uh, the talent to 10th is one of those, uh, one of those notions. But the war. Well, he said he was another, wrong. Yeah, he said, well, he didn't quite say he was wrong on the Challenger 10. He said what he misunderstood or what people misunderstood when they read him was that they thought he was talking about an aristocracy, a, a, a black aristocracy. He said, that's not what he meant. He meant, though, that if you're going to have people who are, who, who are deliberately miseducated, led out of there, you've got to have educated people to lead them. Otherwise, they're going to be going around in circles. So that's what he meant by the Challenger 10, but, but he was not sufficiently experienced and aware to, to make that uh, clearer when he was writing it, because he was just coming out of college. So then we have, then we have Lieutenant General, uh, have General of the Armies, uh, John J. Pershing, Black Jack Pershing, that you're playing, Dr. Commissioner. So talk about how this character got to you. And Well, it, it, it's o- almost the same pattern. I, I got a mm-hmm. call from Judy. And Judy Dobbs we're talking about. Who's <laughs> Judy Dobbs, who's with us The right backbone now. of the Maryland Humanities Council. The backbone Council. of the Maryland <laughs> That's Humanities. right. That's right. Uh, and... Uh, she said, what I do, I think that's how it went, what I think of doing Jack Pershing. And um, I had never even considered the idea of doing Jack Pershing. And as I started, I said yes, very quickly, because I love coming to Maryland. And I've been interested by World War One, and I've become more and more, I've been teaching uh, military history. And especially in World War One, I, I was fascinated by it because it's one of the I would say that the worst fought war ever uh, because it just ends up being just butchery. It's mm. just mass murder, and everybody is complicit in it, and Pershing is part of that complicity. Anybody who saw Wonder Woman knows that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, and so uh, it, it, it was interesting to take him on as a new character and to explore it from his viewpoint in that. And I'm doing roughly... The same as Bill, I won't be quite that old as Du Bois, mm-hmm. I, but he'll be just before he's, uh, just as World War II is breaking out. It's mm-hmm. broken out in Europe, and I'll probably put it in 1941, mm-hmm. only because that allows him some 
space to look back, mm-hmm. at, whereas Du Bois may have admitted he made mistakes, I have to figure a way to make Pershing offer up that he might have done something <laughs> wrong uh, because he is a man who is a military leader, says you, you, you never reflect that you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. You keep going forward. You remain mm-hmm. optimistic. You remain strong. You don't gripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a difficult job. You do your difficult job, and you live with the consequences of yeah. it. And he's very steel-like. Mm-hmm. And so I thought giving him a little more time, he can look back as the second war starts because the second war starts to prove that what he believed in was really not modern warfare. Well, he was still somewhat caught in the trap of the Civil War Mm. that with American rifles, American esprit de corps, well-led, can overcome anything. Mm -hmm. And machine guns and mechanized (laughs) warfare sort of was making that into a a ridiculous (laughs) assumption. Uh, And he slowly learned it in World War I, not that anybody did. Later on, he's very much criticized Mm -hmm. for what he did in World War I. Um, Even though he had the intelligence to reorder things, even after the war, he doesn't see much need for tanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sees airplanes as important, but not like they would become. He misses that. But most people did. Did you like him? Do you like him? I like him more as I do him because in military circles, and we were just talking about at even at uh, West Point when he was first there, no one ever touched him more than once. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was said, you just don't do that. He's not one of the boys. He's this mil- they thought him saw him as a marionette, mm-hmm. marionette, that he was officious. But privately, he could be very funny. He loved the ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say West Point, he never talked with the guys, but he never missed a day mm-hmm. to take a walk with a young lady around the grounds. And he played cards and he drank a bit. And then that all goes away when he gets married and he's devoted to his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, his line is when he meets her. He writes in his journal that night, I've met the woman that God has made for me. Mm. And so there is this emotional side to him, but it is absolutely private. Mm. And only about four or five people ever know this side of him. But yet he could be very funny and very compassionate. Um, One of his best friends was Charlie Dawes, who was later a senator. Well, before that was a senator. And he shows up and helps run logistics for the AEF. The American well, Expeditionary Force in World War One, the Army. The American Expeditionary mm, right. Force. And he shows up, but he's an old friend of mm. Pershing's, and he is not a soldier. They give him a uniform, but they have to help dress him. And he serves on the staff, but whenever Pershing walks into the room, of course, all the other officers stand up to attention because the commanding officer's in the room. Dawes never does. Mm. And finally, Pershing, in front of all the other officers, says, Charlie. When the commanding officer comes into the room, you're at least supposed to move your cigar from one side of your mouth to the other. And so he has this, but it's very much hidden. And that's going to be the what I'm wrestling with is how to get that across. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why somebody asked me, are you going full uniform? Mm-hmm. And I went, no, yeah. it's after the war. He's yeah. out of the military. So you both are doing the same and thing. And that might yeah. open yeah. it up, yeah. allow yeah. me a little more access to this very mm-hmm. – disciplined, iron-willed human being. It sounds like these three characters might have been chosen 
for for their uh, personality, sim uh, similar similarities in their personalities almost. It could be. <laughs> you know. Well, Judy yeah. is a genius. Yeah. yeah. So because uh, <laughs> you know, listening to you talk about Pershing, it's almost uh, uh, an overlay in terms of uh, his patrician nature and yeah. his standoffishness, but his absolute dedication to excellence, mm -hmm. uh, especially in education. He was just intolerant when it came to anybody who was a dullard. His old thing about with Marcus Garvey was about he, he was just a dullard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he said, he's not a model of the talented ten. He's not even talented. <laughs> now he and he had the same issue with Booker T. Washington. Exactly. A little bit of that yeah. I heard. Yeah, yeah. He, he respected Booker T. Washington for what he had done, but he thought, but that's not what our people need. Yeah. You know. So yeah, he but but that was they, they had the similar kind of thing. And his, his letters to, to Woodrow Wilson essentially was exactly the same thing. So before you two get into your character, which I want you to just get to each do a little piece about from, from the boys in Pershing, um, yeah. that if you could just, I mean, what what is it about this period you think that was so important that is so important to do? I mean, Chautauqua is about our history. It's about about the people who have made our world as it is in in many ways, and, and finding these characters who embody that. So what is it about World War One, from both your characters' perspectives and? And just from yourselves, as as the actors kind of delving into these, this time, I, I, I Bill met for Du Bois, uh, it was first of all, 1900 was basically his coming of age. Uh, he he graduated at Harvard uh, in the early uh, 90s, and he, he went to work at Wilberforce in 92, and he, wrote, wrote, he you know did some uh, sociological studies. Wrote the, the the in 1903 he wrote the um, uh, Souls of Black Folk. So he has now established himself as a leader in the black community, but he's got to put up with Booker T. Washington. So what was <laughs> happening for him uh, was this whole coming of age of not only the country. Everybody thinks that America was the leader of the world uh, in this time frame. Du Bois said when he was in, in, in Berlin in college, they didn't even think about America very much, didn't talk about it very much at all. And when they did, it was very disparagingly. And so for him, World War One. He wrote this little note to um, uh, in, in the crisis. And I'll just do a little slight. Yeah, excerpt please, of please. It. it says, "Let us, while this war lasts, forget our very special grievances and close our ranks shoulder to shoulder with our own white fellow citizens and the Allied nations that are fighting for democracy." He knew because he had read and studied the war, the Civil War, the uh, Revolutionary War, and the War of 1898, the Spanish War. He knew. That this was not that you're not going to automatically get your rights, and he says that. But he says, although I don't like war, I'm reluctant to fight a war. This is another chance for us, another opportunity for us to realize uh, our manhood and therefore present our credentials to the nation again. You know, we constantly have to petition the nation for our citizenship, even though. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments had been passed, you know, 50 years earlier. How does he feel about that after the war when it turns out that this isn't a— Oh. He, it, this you is a, this proof of their value. radicalized Du Bois, right? Oh. oh. So that's where he really becomes <laughs> radicalized. Here's okay. what he says. He says, <laughs> we fought, we fight. Uh, but today we return. We return from slavery of uniform, yep. which the world's madness demanded us done to freedom of, of, of civil garment. He said, and yet 
a sh- we sh- we no, no, let me just go back. This right. country of ours, despite all its better souls have done and dreamed, is yet a shameful land. It lynches us. It disfranchises its own citizens. It encourages ignorance. It steals from us. It insults us. And he, then he says, we return. We return from fighting. We return fighting. Make way for democracy. We saved it in France, and by the great Jehovah, we will save it in the United States of America, or we will know the reason why. <laughs> so he was scathing. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. I don't even remember the question. What was the question? <laughs> why, why, so what do, what do you think, through the eyes of Persian, let's say, oh, oh, why, why this well, period? Well, this period, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I well, got no, that means you got wrapped I, up I got in wrapped boys, up. which is not a bad well, thing. And it's my next thing. thought is that's it's what good leads thing. him to start leaning away from the United States towards Ghana, isn't it? Ghana After much World later, War One, yeah. isn't that when he starts going? America well, isn't really going to have much hope. It, uh, he gets more involved in Pan Africanism. Okay, but it is not. He 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 doesn't give up yet. Okay, he he he, he really doesn't give up oh, until the ni- until nineteen fifty one. When they bring him up on the uh, the Huac charges, yeah, uh, right, and, yeah. So now, it, it's interesting. That's where I was going. I was yeah. thinking about that. The legacy of Du Bois. He's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, yeah. but uh, well, with Pershing, I think, as I mentioned, I I teach. I got conned into doing military history, and all of a sudden now it's become sort of an interest to me. And oh, I hope so. <clears> and, espe- <laughs> and especially World War One. Well, uh-huh. I started because I teach a class on Vietnam War, uh-huh. and I had set up and understand Vietnam War and the cultural surroundings to it. But World War One has always fascinated me a little bit, and now the more I've spent time in it, and now this allowed me to do Pershing to to go in and to see that how happily they marched off to this. What was really insanity? Mm. I mean, it, it, on the level of insane wars, World War One is a horrific thing. But I mean, World War Two, World War One is just its own unique mm. piece of insanity uh, because it was so murderous. Because the tactics and the generals were so outdated to the technology. I mean, that's usual problem with every war. The mm-hmm. the generals are one step behind mm. with what's happened. And, but many of these men should have known better. Pershing should have known better because mm. he watched the Russo-Japanese War. He was an American <clears throat> observer to that and came away saying, you know, modern warfare is different. And yet, <laughs> 15 years later, here he is in France and he's going to commit to the same tactic. Mm. And so I want to, I think that's necessary to explore. I think looking at wars and how we go into wars and mm-hmm. how we come out of wars and and the 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 lessons we learn. Yeah. Uh, you quoted Wilson there that, you know, the war, the save the world for democracy, mm-hmm. which I think even Pershing by the end of the war is sort of, well, no, we didn't. There'll <laughs> be another one here soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, something else Wilson said, the war to end all wars. Mm-hmm. And in Pershing, I'm sure, found that to be an absolutely foolish, mm-hmm. foolish um, idea. Yeah. And so Pershing is fascinating because he he really backs into the leadership as general. He's the only fit general. He's the only one who's led more than 10,000 men in the field. Mm. And they're already realizing this is going to be on a scale that's far beyond anything the United States has ever done. 
it's just an amazing thing what he pulled off. And, and that sort of fascinated me there. He's trained to go after gorillas. Uh, he was an Indian fighter, charged up San Juan Hill mm-hmm. with Teddy Roosevelt. But, and then chased Pancho Villa for a <laughs> while, for nine months, doing basically nothing but run around Mexico. Um, <laughs> and they had maybe 10,000 men. Well, now he's being asked to lead two million men. Mm. And some of the logistics of it and handling it and making it work is just staggering. Um, And I want to get into some of that because it's it's it fascinated fascinated me about the war was how they made this work Uh, on another side is. And I can't really touch it with Pershing is how they got so many people to buy into this carnage. Mm-hmm. That was the front. I mean, the American military had such gung-ho soldiers compared to the other countries, yeah. um, maybe because they were naive and not familiar with it, maybe because it's coming out of the Theodore Roosevelt era and the manliness of the early yeah. early 20th century. There's this manliness. Now, you have people literally going into World War One, going, you know, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. to be shot at for artillery shells to come at me to prove yeah. my manliness. Yeah. And then very quickly they're in the trenches going, how the hell do I get out of here? <laughs> you know? And you know, what, what, what was remarkable for me was what came out of that World War I for the African Americans not, not, was not immediate, but it was there. In, mm-hmm. in, in 1920, it started with the Harlem Renaissance. And all of a sudden we're celebrating now the achievements. And suddenly, the numbers of, of artistic uh, and literary achievements and musical achievements, all of those things began to just flourish, just coming out of World War I. So between World War I and World War II, the African-American community became very well established mm-hmm. with a, a, a growing middle class and, and, and an education that the world should have envied because uh, they actually started public education after Reconstruction. You know, after the war, especially in the South, uh, they had public education in the North and certain places, but they had, didn't have the benefit of it. Every yeah. time there was a a, 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 a a retrenchment of those things. Well, after World War One, uh, they said, "Oh hell no, we're we're not going back," and, yeah. and so they start fighting back. Uh, the Klan was rising, but so was the resistance on the other side, and so you get a, a litany. Of, of reports about what was happening to the black community, you don't get a lot of information about what the black community was doing in, 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 in retaliation and therefore forging their way, taking their way. Yeah. So what Du Bois said here, we return fighting, <laughs> was absolutely true. Yeah, there was, there was a, in, as a cultural historian, mm. I, I love dealing with that as you see the, these black troops coming home and saying, you know, no more of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we were treated as human beings yeah. in France. We yeah. demand this kind of yeah. level. And then you have that flowering, as you say, mm-hmm. with the Harlem Renaissance yeah. and its growing African-American intelligentsia yeah. and middle yeah. class and yeah. and whites mm-hmm. get pulled into it pulled in the into 1920s yeah. and the clubs. And you, and, that's right. And then, But it was not just the clubs. Well, we hear about the clubs because that was the, that was the drama. Yeah. But what was going on behind the scenes were, were the philanthropic society was actually funding an awful lot of uh, a lot more of black research and black writings, and so all of these artists now can uh, can get their books published, 
uh, poetry and also so it was just it was just a remarkable period of time that yeah. we don't re- usually attribute to the contribution that was made out of World War One and to what, legacies, when du- when yep. Du Bois talked about the talented tenth, this is what he was talking about. Those people come up and you write all of these. This, these missives, and you do all of this research, and then the people who are still down in the slave south, because it's still basically slave conditions, will get wind of this, and yep. then they will get hope, and they will come out. And that's exactly it, what It's happened. a huge transformation, the African-American huge. community moving north into yeah. the cities uh-huh. during the war, even yeah. though it's brief. Yeah. It changes everything. Oh, it's a very remarkable. dramatic moment in American history. Yeah. We're talking about World War One. We're talking about the Chautauqua 2017 uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, and it is um, the 24th, 23rd, 23rd season of Chautauqua here uh, in Maryland from the Maryland Humanities Council. Uh, we're here with two of the actors presenting this Friday night, July the 7th. It'll be G- General John Pershing being done by Doug Mishler, who's in studio. And Saturday night is W.E.B. Du Bois being done by Bill Grimet, who's in studio. And Sunday night will be President Woodrow Wilson, done by somebody who's not in studio but should be equally as good. <laughs> uh, it'll be happening at the uh, Center for the Arts Theater at the Community College of Baltimore County, Catonsville. Uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. So I thought we'd come back. You want to do? You want to do a little, a little monologue? Can you do one? Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for a monologue. I'll take I questions. Can, I can. I can do. Well, I can do. do a, a little bit he has right his now. readings with him. I should have brought readings. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have the. I'm an age. I'm an aged old boy. But, uh, but I don't do. Well, and the thing with Pershing too is, well, the only thing he ever wrote was his history of the war, and it's basically unreadable. It's really horrible. It's really horrible. <laughs> oh my God! And then the well, the first company headed by Captain So and So did So and So and So. It's nuts and bolts. It's just no. Oh. It's eight hundred pages or something. It yeah. should be one hundred pages. So he's I, not I what lo- you would call a writer and a thinker. Here's why I love doing Chautauqua, though, because I'm an actor. I'm not a scholar. You run into scholars, right? And every time. I do this. I run. I run into scholars who know the period, you know, and all. And so I'm listening to all this. This is the the background. Painting, yeah, you know? yeah, that's what <laughs> I love about so it. It's just so rich, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And so I think that's what that's what the audience has come to see. Well, and I didn't want to argue over the radio, but one of the things I liked about the Harlem Renaissance, and I liked how you framed it with for the African community and this growth and never going back and mm-hmm. what's going on in the community. Yeah. But for me, it's one of those moments, and it's ever so slow, yeah. but it's where many Northern whites start going, wait, mm-hmm. blacks are not right. an alien species. <clears throat> they're different from right. us. We go to their clubs, their mm-hmm. music's different. Mm-hmm. But they're starting to growing sense these are human beings, yeah. which they've as you said, ignored yeah. since the Civil War. Yeah. In the South, it's racism. In the North, it's racism or apathy. Right, right. And the Renaissance, all of a sudden, as you say, they're they're listening to yeah. uh, the poets and mm-hmm. reading Zora Neely Hurston and, yeah. and going, yeah. wait a second, there's yeah. something here, yeah. and they're starting to become human beings. Or yeah. people, even like Pershing, and this who's is not in public going to say anything positive. This is what uh, Du Bois wrote down he predicted that this is what was going to happen that this is so just it, took for his whole prescription was that if you do this uh, if you teach this one small kernel of people because every society he says has done this then you're going to uh, let me get let you get it so we can yeah. jump back and you do the finishes up we're gone again yeah there we go all right ready so we're not gonna be long we're like maybe 10 minutes tops here okay there we go. all right
Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And as we said earlier, for 23rd year in a row, Chautauqua is happening in Maryland. Chautauqua 2017, that is brought to us by the Maryland Humanities Council. This is Voices from the Great War, World War I. The three characters being presented this weekend at the Center for the Arts Theater at the Community College of Baltimore, which is on Rolling Road, 800 South Rolling Road in Cadenceville. Friday night will be General John Pershing. Saturday night will be W.E.B. Du Bois. Saturday night will be President Wilson. All performances start at 7 p.m. Uh, and we are here with two of the men, one who's playing General John Pershing, that's Doug Mishler, and one who's playing W.E.B. Du Bois, Bill Gromet, who's been on the show many times before. So let's, before, let's, can we do a little bit here? Well, I'll let you do a little bit of okay. E.B. Du Bois, and then let me ask you both questions in your character, okay. and then we'll uh, see where we go. <laughs> what are you going to read, Bill? Uh, during the war, Du Bois had, had, had uh, voted for uh, Wilson, had, had uh, encouraged him to get the soldiers in the army, uh, and then, uh, but once he voted for him, Wilson began to turn against the black community. <laughs> this is a letter, uh, an excerpt from a letter that Du Bois wrote to Wilson uh, while he was president. Sir, you have now been president of the United States for six months, and what is the result? It is no exaggeration to say that every enemy of the Negro race is greatly encouraged. That every man who dreams of making Negro race a group of menials and pariahs is alert and hopeful. Vardaman, Tillman, Hoke Smith, Coldblees, and Burleson are evidently assuming that their theory of place and destiny of the Negro race is the theory of your administration. They and others are assuming this because not a single act and not a single word of yours since election has given anyone reason to infer that you have the slightest interest in the colored people or desire to alleviate their intolerable position. A dozen worthy Negro officials have been removed from office, and you have nominated one but one black man for office, and he such a contemptible cur that his very nomination was an insult to every Negro in the land. <laughs> he goes on and on and on. But he basically says, <laughs> he basically says, look, you know, get a grip. <laughs> Wilson was not warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe Du Bois ever bought into Wilson because he was, you know, so clearly a Southern man. Yeah. Well, and the only reason he did was because Teddy Roosevelt had had, had actually, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, approved of the the uh, Brownsville massacre. Well, where these these black, black soldiers who had right. rode with right. him uh, uh, in Cuba were, were being the people were being attacked. So the soldiers said, "Well, hey, we got guns. Let's go over and, and get back." So in Brownsville, they went back and, and shot up some folks. Yeah. And then the <laughs> law came in, and they sent the army down and 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 hung some of them, uh, just a, a massacre of them. And and Teddy Roosevelt, while running for president, ag agreed with that. He he sort of well, well, yeah, right. oh, he did. <laughs> Roosevelt was no was no was no fighter for racial justice. Well, he was he was, he was not. Was. He was not. It was a he political was issue, but he, he but but he, he might had, have, he might have had to do with Booker T. Washington, but that's yeah. as far as he ever got. <laughs> no, that's not absolutely true. He supported the African troops, but at Brownsville, the the African troops fired on the community. What gets them in trouble, and several are Medal of Honor winners, 
Mm -hmm. uh, he comes down there. Well, he doesn't come down there. He says to them, because he's commander-in-chief, I want to know who shot into the community because soldiers do not do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's the the only part of the story. Well, I mean, why did they shoot? They didn't shoot in the community. No, he wasn't a problem with that. He was against what happened to them. He said the soldiers had just cause. They had been mistreated in that. But a soldier does not shoot into a civilian community for any reason. But they wouldn't turn over the soldiers who did it. They would not turn out. And that, to him, was dishonorable. And so that's why he kicks them all out. But this is why DuRoy's decided not to support him. Yeah. Oh, I could see that. And he, right. and yeah. he went for yeah. And, yeah. and Du Bois was a socialist, a registered socialist. Yeah. And Eugene right. Debs was running. Yeah. And he resigned from the Socialist Party in order to support Wilson. Yeah, big mistake there. <laughs> yeah. so this, I think that, Teddy was and, bad. And, and the World War and World War One was a period where black was being encouraged to fight in the war yeah. while the left was opposing the war. Uh-huh. Being depo- arrested, deported, and jailed. Yeah. Debs yep. goes to jail because of <laughs> exactly. support the yeah. war, right? Eugene B. Debs. Yeah. Yep. So so let me do it very quickly here. Um, I'll ask you both a quick question in character <laughs> before we conclude. All right. So, um, since you, Bill, let me start with let's start with W. E. B. Du Bois. So, I'm curious what Dr. Du Bois learns from the end of this war. Looking back at it, what is it Du Bois learns? What comes out of it for him, for you, Dr. Du Bois? I should yeah. say. Yeah. I suppose, uh, going into the war, I knew that the, the problem of the 20th century was the problem of the color line. What I did not realize completely was uh, just how committed uh, some, of the, some of our friends were to the position of the color line. And so when I had encouraged uh, soldiers to fight, uh, I thought at least since we had known what they could do in the Spanish-American War, since we had known what they could do in the Civil War, since we had known what they could do even in the Revolutionary War, at least we would, in this war, at least let them fight. And so uh, what I learned was that not letting them fight on the American side and having to go to the French was just another wrinkle in the demise, uh, in, in, in the degradation of our people, and so we had to fight even harder, even with our friends, like so, General Pershing. Like General Pershing. So let's talk a bit about General Pershing, Doctor General Pershing. What, what, you came out of this war wanting to uh, take the war into Germany. Uh, mm-hmm. You were stopped from doing that. Thought that's the, and and the armistice came. So what does General Pershing walk away with? He had some of the greatest generals became his students became some of the greatest generals. Were MacArthur and Eisenhower were under him. So. Marshall. Marshall. Patton. Patton, right? All of them. Well, what I gain out of the war is a sense of loss, in a way, because I do not believe that Germany will behave, uh, that we are, as we're seeing now, very clearly, that Germany will proceed on an aggressive course and that they were not defeated. They were just brought back to a line at the start. So nothing was accomplished except killing and maiming a great Hmm. deal of humanity. Um, And so I am mm, reticent to say that there was a great benefit out of the war because I think the issues are still there within Europe and we will, of course, be pulled into it once again. 
on the other side, uh, one of the things that distresses me the most of the war has been the announcing of soldiers as glorious as somehow the battle has been glorious and the war is about heroism and glory. There is no glory in war. The only glory in war are the dead. These are the ones we should remember. But it would be much more glorious if they were still alive. Life is the great glory, not death. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be absolutely entertained and also learn a great deal and enjoy a wonderful conversation, you get a chance to talk to these characters in, act in, characters in character, am I right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The audience questions of you in character. Oh, the best yes. part. Um, after they make their presentations, they will remain in character, and the audience uh, gets a chance to interact with mm-hmm. E.B. Du Bois mm-hmm. and General John Pershing, and on Sunday, uh, President Woodrow Wilson. These are men who have d- just doubled down and gotten deep into who these men are. Uh, and it's, it's always an amazing evening. It's just that mm. if you want to spend a wonderful, entertaining, intellectually stimulating evening and then go out and have a lovely dinner with somebody you like, people you like, then come to Chautauqua this weekend. Uh, Chautauqua 2017 is brought to us by the Maryland Humanities Council. Uh, and on Friday night, July the 7th, you will meet General John Pershing, Blackjack Pershing, as, as performed by Doug Mishler, independent scholar, taught, teaches at the University of Nevada, Western Washington State, has done P.T. Barnum, Theodore Roosevelt, William Lloyd Garrison, Henry Ford, Upton Sinclair, Fort Chautauqua. You don't want to miss that. You just heard his General Pershing. And W.E.B. Du Bois will be on Saturday night, played by the great Bill Grimet, a uh, living history interpreter who has done Martin Luther King, W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, Benjamin Banneker, Fort Chautauquas, here, Colorado, South Carolina, and in the North Marianas. I love that. Northern Marianas. I love that one. <laughs> I did uh, that one, too. That was great. You guys are very lucky to have been there. <laughs> and that's Saturday night, 7 p.m., at the Center for the Arts Theater at the Community College of Baltimore County in Catonsville, 800 South Rolling Road, Catonsville, Maryland. So check it out. Don't miss Chautauqua this year. Mm-hmm. These gentlemen are both fantastic. Good to meet you both. Thank you. Thank Doug you, Mark. Good to have Great you both. Great to be here. Yeah. Doug Mishler and Bill Gromet. And uh, on to Chautauqua. <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs>